What's up everyone, this is Nick here and welcome back to Prof Talk. Morgan and I are so excited to get started for the spring 2020 semester. And this week, we're sitting down with Juniper and Professor Laurent of the College of Engineering and Mathematical Sciences to discuss Ocean, which is an open source research project that earned a $1 million grant from Google. The way it started is actually really exciting. The coronavirus and the spread of infectious disease. We're still very bad at forecasting outbreaks. And I get it, like it's exciting that there's a new virus going on and a rather enticing game of Would You Rather. So I feel like Scotch brings me more excitement because it's a space I like to discover. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, well, welcome to Prof Talk, Laurent and Juniper. Can you please introduce yourselves? Uh, sure, so I'm Juniper Lovato, um, and I'm the program director for the Vermont Complex Systems Center, um, and I'm also the program director for the new um, Ocean Project, which is um, a collaboration that we have with Google. Um, and first, I just want to say thank you to Google Open Source. Um, this is a $1 million gift, which is really exciting, um, and should give us sort of the opportunity to do a lot of really good research around open source ecosystems. Yeah. And I'm Laurent Ebayard Dufresne. I'm an assistant professor of computer science at UVM. I'm also affiliated with the Vermont Complex Systems Center, the new Ocean Initiative, also the Tiger Center in the College of Medicine, which studies a lot of infectious disease modeling, and the Quest Initiative in the College of Arts and Sciences. So really, a little all over the place, but trying to connect the different multidisciplinary efforts on campus. Cool. Amazing. Amazing. So yeah, the reason that we invited you here originally is the project that you just discussed, which is the Ocean um, Open Source Complex Ecosystems and Networks. Had to look at my notes for that one. <laughs> um, but I did see it in the UVM News, so mm -hmm. I was really excited to kind of look into what exactly that project is um, and what's going on, because I don't think the general UVM population is necessarily aware of like the specifics of this exciting um, work that's being done here. So can you explain how this project was started and how it got to this point of getting this big grant from Google? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the way it started is actually really exciting. So uh, we have a, an alum who went through um, the engineering PhD program and also the complex systems um, graduate certificate who is an amazing engineer at Google um, and we've been connected with her for a long time as sort of a, um, an alumni who stayed really in touch with the center and uh, she wanted to start this new project. She works in Google open source and was like, I want to know more about how the ecosystems of open source work. Um, and she had reached out to a lot of different academic partners um, and really wanted a center to partner with who um, sort of reached beyond disciplines. So somebody who wasn't just in engineering or just in physics or mm. just in computer science, um, but a center that could sort of work and collaborate across disciplines and fields. Um, so that's sort of why this partnership started. That's awesome. um, and it's been a really great relationship. They're a great team to work with. Super cool. Yeah. And then just also to sort of like lay the foundation for folks at home, um, sort of detailing what is open source research, what are the implications that it has on the field in which you're working, um, where does it originate, how did it sort of come about, and all of that sort of information. Right. So the two things I want to distinguish is that we're trying to do open science, which just means science where you're going to openly share your results and, and data. Um, 
and we're doing open science about open source software, which is any <laughs> software or community uh, that provides all of their product openly on the web. Right, so open source software is any piece of software where you have access to the entire code, to the entire building blocks that run on your computer. So these communities are typically not always nonprofit and community based. So they're motivated by um, very different mechanisms than like standard software companies. And because of that, there's not as much science trying to understand you know, what makes a good, healthy community. Uh, developing open source software. So that's what we're hoping to do uh, with Google Open Source. It reminds me kind of of why the internet was created in the first place was mm -hmm. to share amongst scientific communities the research that was being done and collaborate. So in terms of like what you mentioned earlier, the building blocks, what, so does that mean that I can take something that is on the internet or, or some sort of software, is it software programs, right. mm -hmm. and manipulate them to kind of the way that I want them? Exactly, there's a whole suite of licenses that go with open source software, but most of them you'll be able to mo modify as you, as you please. Um, typically what that means is that communities like users get a lot more involved in the development, right? Because you get like a direct access to the developers or you can be a developer yourself and provide feedback on the software. So that tends to mean, like, for sure, more transparent software. You know what's going on, and you know what data is being collected or sent. Um, but hopefully, also just more safe software. Okay. The problem is um, because it's also often decentralized. You can have very like critical dependencies or just critical bits of software that are only understood by one person in the community. And if that person leaves, then the whole like ecosystem sort of collapses. Mm -hmm. So what we're hoping to do is provide science that just has never been done before, even though the data is mostly open, provide science about like what's a healthy community, what's a community that's more likely to have like creative ideas, mm. and what's a community that's more likely to be robust, like turnover of its members. So in no way it's like software focused because that's where the data is, but the big picture scientifically is also that open source community provides a window in just like teams in general. How do teams and technology, technologically rich problems come together and solve problems. And so this must be like an incredible learning tool for your students, undergraduate, graduate, and regardless of their affiliation. Mm -hmm. Right, so I mean, we're lucky that it's not only like UVM that's gonna be leading this, like the hope is to use o the Ocean Project to make the Vermont Complex System Center a hub for this type of thing, and then involve like students that are in our undergrads, master and PhD programs, but also connect like them to people outside. So. Google is, is um, contributing a lot too. So Amanda Kasseri, the alum that Juniper was referring to, she's like, gonna be working on this full time. We're also working with uh, Julia Ferraioli at Google. Mm -hmm. So they have people that are gonna be visiting often, mm -hmm. uh, connecting with the students here and also connecting with other experts worldwide who might be interested in the same stuff. So how is this idea being like accepted in the programming community because my first reaction was like, if I spend so much time creating a software and I'm already allowing other people to use it mm -hmm. and then they're changing it, I feel like almost like my creative license is like, it's just a kind of boundary thing. Like I would want it to be used exactly how mm -hmm. I made it. So is that at all a concern like that's being expressed by people or it's mostly just like people have this strong desire for collaboration? I think the community, at least 
I mean, I can't speak for the whole community, but at least from sort of following the reactions on Twitter and, and whatnot, yeah. um, I think they're excited to have um, more information about how their community operates and functions. Okay. Um, and to really know what makes a good team, I think people uh, in open source are really passionate about um, continuing and having a thriving ecosystem. So. I think they'd be excited to sort of know more about how that works. Yeah, and the people inside open source communities, they know that different communities, so, you know, people that develop different products have very different culture. Oh, yeah. So that's just obvious when you start getting involved in these different communities. Mm-hmm. What they don't know is how like, the social culture of a community affects the final product. I think that's just unknown, and they're curious about that, mm-hmm. trying to get a better understanding for how social norms translate to coding practices yeah Mm -hmm. and so that's actually a really really cool segue then in terms of talking about social constructs social structure Mm -hmm. especially within the university setting where it's just a mixed bag of everything lots of different types of identities represented in the field especially within stem Um, and so how do you sort of view the social structure social functions at uvm showing up within you know, the work that you're doing with students here currently, how do you anticipate it showing up in the work that you hope to do with undergrads, grads in this ocean project? Um, And sort of like what observations do you have as of now? Um, So I guess one of the big goals for ocean is that we're going to be trying to create this as a a hub where we're going to be bringing lots of people in. Um, So we've identified about 30 researchers that we're going to be inviting to UVM about every month for lectures. So we're going to try to bring in people that are not from the U.S. who are really representative of different kinds of people in the field. Um, I think that that kind of diversity is really important for the students to be able to see that this field is really like has a breadth of different kinds of researchers and the kinds of things that they study, but also in terms of their um, gender identity and ethnic background, which isn't, um, you know, which I think is important to bring to UVM more. Especially for a project that's very much computer science focused, Um, the software community across the board has, has different cultural issues and then I think tying that to how that might affect the end product is going to be eye-opening for a lot of people. Yeah and I think one of the main or like a big uh, issue that we're trying to think about too is not just representing open source communities that are U.S. focused. Um, So our partner Amanda she's um, been doing a lot of work in Africa and open source communities there so really thinking about um, trying to branch out and think about open source communities all over the world. And then one last thing I'll say about that is that a lot of, um, of the software is not developed in academic circles. So for us, it's also a way to branch out and, and connect mm-hmm. our students and our researchers like, beyond UVM and beyond universities. So in Vermont, there are a lot of, of people working in open source software, developing software. And I think they're very excited to be able mm-hmm. to, um, to get engaged a little more with research. Yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of mentioned that there are a variety, uh, bunch of different schools working on this project. Is UVM kind of a big deal in this project? Like, are we kind of pioneers of this idea? Or, like, what's the evolution of this um, project? We're a and, huge like, deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I think... We'll, oh, we'll, we'll, I guess are you guys we'll kind the of the first yeah. people uh-huh. that have started working on this and you're bringing in others? Or are you in conjunction with others? How is it working? So a lot of people think about open source software and a lot of people think about you know, organizational science, how like a culture in an organization affects productivity and creativity and all that. I think the twist that we have is the complex systems twist. And in that arena, UVM and the Vermont Complex Systems Center, I think are a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not that many 
eccenters like us in the world. There's probably no like graduate programs or undergraduate program like ours in the world. So I think that that was one of the um, main draw for just bringing this partnership to UVM and not mm. not elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that the way we're approaching the, these problems are really novel, and that like. Um, the work that Laurent is doing is informed by his work in infectious disease to mm -hmm. study teams and the way that ideas propagate and spread through a community and a, and a team. So we're not just approaching it sort of from the traditional uh, perspective. We're really bringing together tools from all different kinds of fields like biology and computer science and physics linguistics and linguistics. And, um, so I think maybe we'll have a novel perspective on the, the yeah. problem. Right. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, do we want to move on to the infectious disease kind of conversation? <laughs> but yeah, so we've done some research on infectious disease um, and also just paying attention to pop culture in the media mm -hmm. um, and social responses, political responses to, you know, the sort of surges of the coronavirus. Um, and so, like, what are your thoughts on the coronavirus being a threat to our community, to other communities around the globe, taking that global focus? Um, and just sort of your thoughts on that, and how seriously should we be taking this? I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge bag of worms because it's always super important to try and collect a lot of data early on in an outbreak and then to try and inform the public about what's going on. The truth is we're still very bad at it. We're still very bad at forecasting outbreaks. Right, so right now what we do know is that you know, coronavirus is, is already spreading beyond China. So by most definition of the word, it's gonna become a pandemic, which means like a, an epidemic across multiple countries or at a global scale. So that's very likely, but there's no source of alarm in other types of data in terms of mortality and all that. So really it's just right now a question about getting as much data as we need and, and trying to like limit local spread as much as possible. Vermont of all places is probably like as isolated as, as possible in this country. Um, so, so in terms of local community, it's not, it's not a threat in any way. And you just go across the border, you'll get a very different answer. Canada is not as worried as the US, which might be a problem, but they haven't implemented any of the checkups at the border crossings that the US has done. Um, so there's like very different reactions across the world about how to handle it. And the truth is, is just because there's not that much data. Like you, you hear about you know, tens of thousands of cases but that doesn't mean that we really, really know how um, transmissible it might be. And mortality rates tend to be biased early on and reporting is very tricky. Diagnosis of a new virus is very tricky. So right now it's just very uncertain. So while it looks like some of the answers that some countries or public health organizations are putting into place are dramatic, it's mostly just preventive because we don't know. So mm. sort of prepare for the worst kind of deal right That's now. Interesting. And in one of my classes, I study, um, I'm in CDAE, so a lot of my classes this semester are economic focused, mm -hmm. and we were talking about the impact on gas prices and how OPEC is trying to manipulate now the price of gas in, in response to kind of try to um, make sure that the supply and demand is kind of where it was before at a good equilibrium. Um, it's just kind of interesting the way that this is affecting indirectly all of these aspects of society and that kind of seems like the bigger threat to me as a citizen is not necessarily am I going to get the coronavirus but how is this going to affect 
how much purchasing power I have or mm. how much ability I have to function in my life. So I will, the one thing I will say is that there's this huge like, cognitive bias that's going on because there's a new outbreak, it's exciting and it's scary <laughs> and we want to talk about it. And then, you know, Netflix or Hulu just brought back the fact that um, Contagion, like yep. Jude Law, Netflix, and, uh, yeah. um, is back, is back, like, is the most watched movie of the last week or something. <laughs> and if you watch that movie, <laughs> it's all about how, like, fear spreads more than the contagion itself. And I get it, like, it's exciting that there's a new virus going on. But I have no doubt that this season, more people, a lot more people will die of the flu in the U.S. than of coronavirus, for sure. Mm. And yet people are afraid of coronavirus and not getting their flu shot right now. Um, so I think like that just gives you an idea of of how ex much excitement, curiosity, and fear like comes with a new outbreak, and that that often can be more dangerous. Like the reactions. Another good example of that is how like state of emergency works at the global and local level. So you hear about the WHO always you know debating whether to declare a state of emergency either for Ebola in the Congo or coronavirus uh, in China. And it might seem from afar, like, of course it's an emergency, let's put as much money as we need into it. The problem is that when you open up a state of emergency, it's not a question of money, it's a question of other economical resources. So often like healthcare worker, hospital beds and all that, and those resources have to come from somewhere else, right? So you're diverting like resources that were uh, fighting maybe malaria in the case of, of Ebola in Congo, or maybe flu in China, towards another outbreak and then you end up with more people dying of malaria than ever before in Congo and that's like a much more higher disease burden than Ebola ever was. Mm. So there's this like problem of, of, of letting our, our fear override our like sense of um, or our common sense in a way mm -hmm. and, and you know people are too afraid about coronavirus and then forgetting to get their flu shot. At the local level that's the you know biggest problem in all of this. Yeah. What is your perception yeah. of the situation, Jennifer? Oh, I'm not an infectious disease person at all, so I, I don't know, but I agree. I mean, I think it's go get your flu shot. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the... uh, your arm is still sore. I know, I went and got so... my flu shot as soon as coronavirus happened. I was like, oh, there was a satellite clinic. Yeah, they knew. Living yeah. well was like, oh, we're going to address this. And that's, and that's the thing, too. Like, we're so lucky at UVM to have those resources, like Living Well, the Center for Health and Wellbeing, Student Health Services, to really, like, support us through and, and make sure that we can be at the top of our game for incredible projects like what you're working on and just being students in general. Um, and so what sort of like partnerships or rather just informal connections do you have within your unit of researchers, within your students, within everything like that? Um, like what are you doing as an academic unit to sort of help students take care of themselves to really like, you know, pass along that message of like, hey, we need to be making sure that while we're doing this amazing work, we're also checking in with ourselves and with our community as well. And so like what sort of things are you like doing within your program, within your research, within your classes to sort of like spread that message. Well, I guess before we move on from public health, I'll let you'll be able to talk about the wellness center, um, the complex STEM center maybe. But I mean, in terms of like students being worried about coronavirus or just wanting to know what's going on. Um, yesterday, the, the, so the Tiger Center, which is the Translational Global Infectious Disease, you don't see the D, Research Center, <laughs> so Tiger. Um, we, we just held like a, a public like special session yesterday morning, so on, on Thursday. Um, 
to inform students about coronavirus. And whenever there's like a, a, a subject of public interest, we try and do that. And then it's just like students are welcome. And we have list, email listservs either in the Complex STEM Center or with Tiger so that students can follow those events and like stay informed as, as much as they want. So that's just one way, just like scientific communication yeah. to try and diffuse knowledge from you know, the research level to, to the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah. Um, and then we have another um, partnership at the Vermont Complex Systems Center. Uh, it's with Mass Mutual, it's a life insurance company, mm -hmm. um, where we do uh, research um, entirely on health and wellness. So uh, we have a research team that's focusing um, on what makes people happy, what, how much sleep are people getting, um, to really just sort of like um, what kind of environmental factors um, make people sort of thrive and well in, in their everyday life. So that's kind of a Yeah, I know. I read practice. that you guys yeah. had received a $5 million grant from Mass Mutual mm -hmm. for the public health. Yeah. Work that you do in public health. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, do we want to move on to? I think it, it makes <laughs> a sense part. since we've gotten all the, <laughs> the insecurities out about coronavirus in Burlington. <laughs> I think we can really definitely move on now. So we're restructuring our historically. <laughs> our inf I'll just say it's infamous lazy river round. Listen, it's 2020. We need to change things up a little <laughs> we bit. We gotta. So this is season yes. two of Prof Talk. So. We did a little research on your hobbies, Laurent, and your um, interests based uh -huh. on your UVM <laughs> profile. And we're just going to ask you a series of questions. <laughs> Are you going to go read it now? I don't know. Oh, you'll find so out I soon mean, I saw I saw on the web that you like talk about our life outside of uh, outside of the school, outside of work, and I couldn't imagine what my hobbies were. So I'm very curious what you found out that, that I don't know. I was like, I don't That's even know what, detective work what do I like. Okay, let's so, see. So uh, we're going to ask you a series of would you rather questions, and you're going to have to pick between things that you've said that you like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, would you do sure. the honors for the we'll first one? Sure. start with the first. So, would you rather only be able to drink coffee or scotch for the rest of your life? Yes. Scotch. And why is oh, that? Oh, that was so easy for you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I thought this was like answer as fast as you can. Don't think about. It. Oh, oh no! You're making no. me think about seat. it. Oh, it's this not like is not the lazy river. We're this taking is our lazy time. River. <laughs> We want to hear the story. We want to hear the backstory. <laughs> He's gonna say like Irish whiskey would have, uh, Irish uh, coffee would have been yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. cancer. Um, I don't know. I, I I like all coffees, right? So I don't. I drink instant coffee. I'm not a coffee snob, but I I love like discovering new scotch. So I feel like scotch brings me more excitement because it's a space I like to discover. Mm. Whereas coffee just feel like um like something I need, right? And it's yeah. not as as exciting to explore okay. the space of all coffees. Mm. What would your answer be? Coffee or scotch, oh, Juniper? Scotch, for sure. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Same for you. Yeah, no, I mean, like, coffee is just, it's sort of a one note for me. I'm not a coffee snob either, and, like, scotch, I, I get to explore something, and it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me. I'm always learning something. <laughs> yeah. Do you you can switch to tea, yeah. so, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, the next one. Give up, would you rather give up cooking or give up French pastries? <laughs> French pastries. Mm. Yeah, like because cooking is too, oh, yeah. too wide of an area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess for the same reason. But you couldn't cook French pastries. I, I can't. I <laughs> can't anyway. not a <laughs> It's too involved. It's too delicate. Yeah. It's just uh, I let it to the, to the experts. 
But it was actually my first career choice was to sign up for, um, I don't know what it would be in the US. So so I'm from Quebec and we have what we call professional degrees that Mm -hmm. we take after high school. And I signed up for a professional degree in in bakery. Mm -hmm. And then my career advisor at my high school convinced me to keep that as plan B, but try science first. (laughs) Um, And then I like never turned back. But that would have been a big deal. If it wasn't for that career advisor, I'd, I'd be like living the life. That's hysterical. Oh wow! Let's see. So this is a very this is a very like this th- given the weather right based now. Based on your interests, but this is like based on survival. So would you rather <laughs> live without like AC or heating, or without the internet? Juniper, you should go first. <laughs> that was a very like that was uh, your that was the sigh of I'd live without the internet. I'm like a I, my background and is in the classics, so I could just read forever and be fine. Really? Yeah, go. but I hate being cold <laughs> so much. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? Uh, New Mexico. Okay. No I kidding. grew up in Southern California, so yeah. I feel you. <laughs> and then you can go back. Oh, wait. But you could live without AC and heating and go back home because New Mexico yeah, is just... Yeah, it's just temperate. It's just so fine all, all year. Yeah. So you could have the best of both worlds. <laughs> I would pick the internet and then like figure out heating on my own. I think. Yeah, we can live in different houses. But I'm Canadian, so I can just... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just live in the wilderness. <laughs> All right, so would you have your mode of transportation, would you rather have it be a donkey or a giraffe? <laughs> uh, a donkey. And I have thought about this because we had donkeys growing up, and I named it Cochina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 That'd be great. They can haul more stuff. Yeah. Mm. Like a pack mule. Yeah, they're useful. I bet people hunt giraffes. Like, people are terrible. So I'd go with donkey if, if only for that, not to be heartbroken or something. Yeah, a giraffe would be hard to take care of. Like, I feel like a donkey is easy. It's too wild. Yeah. yeah. It's also very, very high up. Oh, yeah. You'd that. have to have, like, a whole system of yes. I remember when I was little, we went to the San Diego Zoo, and they had, like, a place where the, I don't know, it was, like, the platform of the viewing area was at, like, eye level with the giraffes, and I just was, like so freaked out by that as a child I <laughs> so i don't think i'd want to climb onto one especially the way the head is like very like disproportionate to the rest of its body you're just like up there and then you see this huge it's no I don't well the that. babies they are born they drop like six feet to the ground and it's like welcome <laughs> welcome to the world here's like your first concussion <laughs> Well, thank wow. you both so much for yes. coming. Yeah. This was fun. This was yeah. so fun. And yeah, we're just really excited to hear more about this ocean project. It's very amazing mm-hmm. and exciting yeah. research being done here. And how can people like get in contact with you if they have more questions about it? Yeah, uh, one thing I should mention is that we have um, two open positions right now uh, for the ocean project. So we're hiring two postdoctoral fellows. So people who are graduating from their PhD. Um, or master. Or master. Um, and applications are open until February 20th, so apply now. Awesome. Um, but if anybody has any questions, um, they can feel free to either contact me or Laurent. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll probably be organizing like public event later in the year mm-hmm. where students are, are going to be welcome. We'll advertise that, so if people don't hear about it, it's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and people can sign up for the Complex Systems uh, newsletter on our website.
thank you everyone for listening to Prof Talk. If you are interested in hearing more of our banter and amazing contributions from UVM community members, just visit the Vermont Cynics website or... Or the SoundCloud.